Ryan Nembhard found his outside shot and Gonzaga rolled over Pepperdine 86-60 to at the Spokane Arena to move to 1-0 in WCC play. And the question today, are the Zags back in business? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use promo code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Well, the Zags took care of business on Thursday against Pepperdine. We're going to dive into the game, what it means for Gonzaga going forward, and we're going to close out the show with a preview of Saturday's game at home against the University of San Diego. But first, let's talk about this game on Thursday night at the Spokane Arena. Gonzaga opens up conference play and the year 2024 with a victory over the Pepperdine Waves, moving their winning streak over Pepperdine to 46 games, dating all the way back to 2002. Fascinating fact brought up on the broadcast by Greg Heister. Seven of Gonzaga's 46 wins against Pepperdine have been single digits. That means 39 of Gonzaga's 46 wins over the Waves in that time period have been by 10 or more points. Absolute dominance of this series by Gonzaga over the Mark Few era uh, for Gonzaga. I enjoyed seeing this game in the Spokane Arena as well. And for those of you who are longtime listeners, you know that there was some conversation a lot about Gonzaga's initial scheduling of this series with Kentucky dating back to last year and the fact that that home game was played at the Spokane Arena. I still think in season, when the students are in session, non-conference games of premier opponents, John Calipari was afraid to play at the kennel, but he wasn't afraid for Gonzaga to come to play at Rupp Arena. I, I don't like that. I still feel like those games should be played at the kennel. I think it's uh, if if Gonzaga is going to go play true road games, they should play at the actual at their actual home floor when they're here. But I like these kind of games being at the arena for a lot of reasons. This game in particular, notably, uh, was was for charity. It raised money for Community Cancer Fund. I love that the opportunity uh, for for fans to see Gonzaga in situations they may not otherwise get to see them, as well as raising money for good causes. That, to me, is a win-win situation. I had a handful of fans in the Discord channel mention that they were bringing their families to this game, wanted to shout out Prog Rocks and Austin Simpson via Discord. Both of them got a chance to bring their families to this game. I'm sure that was a really incredible opportunity for both of them. And that's the kind of thing that I'm glad we get the chance to do. And I'm glad that this game was set up the way that it was. And of course, that everybody got to see Gonzaga victory. We weren't surprised necessarily by a victory. Pepperdine is not a particularly good team, but we saw a lot of the things that I think people needed to see from Gonzaga to feel a little bit better about them going forward. Notably, they shot really well from three. That was the biggest part of this game, the biggest storyline in my mind, hands down. Gonzaga, eight of 19 from three, that's 42%. Nolan Hickman was blistering hot, four of five from three. Most of them, or at least multiple of them, were step-back threes. Really fantastic shooting performance from him. He hasn't been the issue for Gonzaga from beyond the arc, although he has not been up to the standard we believe he's capable of. But this was a huge step in the right direction for him, but not as big as it was for Ryan Nempard. Ryan Nempard went one of 18 from three in the month of December. 
He had not made a three since the Arkansas Pine Bluff game on December 5th. Coming into this game on January 4th against Pepperdine, he goes two of three from three, breaks that 0 of 13 skid, that 1 of 18 skid, finally gets himself a a confidence-boosting game from beyond the arc. He did a lot of great stuff in this game outside of making those two threes, but that's what matters. That was the important part. The strip steal pass ahead to Anton Watson for a lay-in, that was a phenomenal play, but that's the kind of thing we expect from Nimhardt. He was doing that even when he wasn't making threes. Like that's the kind of thing he is capable of doing, but being able to also hit those three point shots, something we know he's capable of. He was a 35 and a half percent shooter last year at Creighton. He is a capable shooter. Drew Timmy said he was a better shooter than Andrew Nembhard. Many other players have agreed with that sentiment. He has not been that guy this year. There's no debate about that. There's no question about that, but we know he's capable of being that guy. Pepperdine is not as good as most of the teams, many of the teams, I should say, that Gonzaga has played this year. They are not going to defend the perimeter as well as a San Diego State, as a UConn, as a Purdue, etc. But it doesn't matter. For me, Nemhard making open threes was something he wasn't doing in December, regardless of opponent. So seeing him do that in this game is crucial, critical, valuable for Gonzaga going forward. I also love that we got to see Ryan Nemhard on the bench. We first half minutes not being played by Ryan Nembhard, incredibly valuable for Gonzaga to get him a break. And the way that they did it was the lineup that we have been clamoring for here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Many of you brought it up to me as soon as you saw that this was the lineup on the floor with the June Sukio playing the three, Dusty Stromer sliding down to the two, and Nolan Hickman playing the one with Nembhard on the bench. That is a, a lineup that's going to need to be played this year. Gonzaga is going to need it. And Yo didn't have a great game. That's kind of one of the negatives of this game. I don't think he played particularly terrible. He got in some foul trouble. Some of them were a bit questionable. Uh, But he wasn't a huge net negative on the floor necessarily. But he played minutes in a situation that allowed Ryan Nembhard to rest. One of the threes he hit was shortly after coming back into the game. Makes you wonder if maybe it's just a little extra rest is what Nembhard has been needing. But I thought that was really valuable that both Nemhart and Hickman were able to get longer breaks in this game. Uh, the other great stuff from this game for Gonzaga, the defense was phenomenal. Uh, Houston Millette, Michael Ajayi, and Javon Porter, the th- big three for Pepperdine, far and away the three most important players to defend on this team. They went to combine eight of 36 from the field. Javon Porter in particular, NBA prospect. Yes, it's only his fourth game as he dealt with injuries, so he's kind of still still finding his feet a little bit. Six points on three of 12 shooting. He was a complete non-factor in this game. I thought there was a potential matchup situation that could be problematic. He's a six foot ten guard, basically, or a six foot ten wing who can space the floor, 38% shooter from three so far this season. He came in and wasn't able to be effective at all for the Pepperdine ways. And that was a really important part of this win for Gonzaga. The defense overall was fantastic. Held Pepperdine to under 33% from the field. Really nice stuff from them. We also got to see some walk-on minutes at the end of the game in, in particular. I know he's he, he is a walk-on. Pavle Stosic came into the game. I thought he looked decent in his minutes, did some good stuff defensively, got a good low post look. He didn't knock it down, but it was a good look, a good shot. Uh, I'm, I'm continued to be encouraged by his development and the fact that we don't really need him this year. He's not a player that uh, the development is being rushed the way that it is uh, to an extent with Dusty Stromer, to an extent with Jun Sukio, and when he's healthy, to an extent with Luka Krinovich as well. Sosic is not really needing to be rushed because he is a big. He's the fifth big. They don't really need him, but it's nice to see him get those minutes and show some signs of, of potentially being a valuable player for Gonzaga down the line. 
there were a couple not great things in this game, but honestly, not much. Uh, they had a couple entry passes that were that they flubbed early in the game. And it was really trying to feed the ball to Graham E.K., and we will talk about him momentarily. Monster game for him that they kind of flubbed. More turnovers than you'd like to see. They ended up having 14 in the game. That's not great. Uh, some of them came at the end of the game, which is not as big of a deal as Gonzaga had a huge lead. But still, uh, they also had some lapses defensively, I think really focused on stopping Millette and Ajayi and Porter, and sometimes that let other guys escape. Uh, in particular, Ethan Anderson had two backdoor cuts on Ryan Nempard that led to easy lay-ins. Not a huge deal necessarily, but a few things I noted. There was a, a play where Ben Gregg was defending the perimeter uh, and kind of just let Michael Ajayi shoot a three right over him. Just a few things I noted. The, the perimeter defense is still an area that Gonzaga can improve. It looked good in this game, but also Pepperdine missed some open threes, which I think helped make the defense look a little bit better. But by and large, not a game that there was a whole lot to complain about. A 26-point victory that was barely even felt that close for most of the second half, a really quality performance from the Zags and a much needed one getting into 2024 and the WCC season. Well, EK feasted and Nemhart, of course, bounced back. Those were keys we discussed before the game. And we're going to break down how those things went on Thursday coming up after a word from today's sponsor FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the college basketball offers stay hot on FanDuel. And right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 in your pocket if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action. The app is really easy to use. There is a wide range of betting options, which include spreads, player props, over-unders, and more right now. Gonzaga's odds to win the WCC are at minus 195. That still feels like easy money to me. So if you want to join me, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get in on the action this college basketball season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, still continuing their conversation here on Gonzaga's win over Pepperdine on Thursday at the Spokane Arena. I want to talk about the five keys to victory that we laid out before the game and how they ended up impacting the game on Thursday evening. We'll start with key number one, which was to pound the ball to Graham E.K. on the block, and that was a huge part of Gonzaga's success in this game. And you could tell it was the game plan early. As soon as the game started, Gonzaga was trying to get the ball down low. They turned it over on two of the first three or four possessions. One of them, it looked like Graham E.K. just slipped. Greg Heister referenced that that arena is often used as a hockey arena, and sometimes there's condensation. I don't know if that was actually a factor or if that was just him acknowledging that that's something that occasionally happens. But after that, once they settled in, Graham was just absolutely dominant. Pepperdine chose not to double-team Graham E.K. throughout the game. And while they do have a shot blocker in Bubakar Kulabale, while Javon Porter does have a lot of length, Graham had about 25 pounds on both those guys, and it showed. It showed. He pushed them around. He bullied his way into the spots that he wanted to be. He was 8 of 10 from the field, had 20 points and 7 rebounds, back-to-back 20-point performances for EK. Uh, and I think as Richard Fox or Greg, I'm not sure which one, alluded to, he might be the WCC Player of the Year. And certainly... With a start like this, a performance like this, he's well on his way uh, to potentially being in that conversation this year. Uh, really, really nice performance from him. And then key number two was kind of related to that. We wanted to get Koulibaly in foul trouble, the big man, the shot blocker, and, and convert from the free throw line. And this happened this seamlessly for Gonzaga. This was a very big key in this game that worked really, really well for them. Koulibaly blocked a shot immediately. It was like the first thing he did in the game was block a shot on Ryan Nembhard. I was like, oh, well, that's... 
That's what he does. He's a shot blocker. Uh, but they managed to pick up a second foul on him right around the under eight in the, in the first half. And from that point on, when he went to the bench, Gonzaga went on a massive run. This was where they separated themselves. They played well in the first 12 minutes of the game. They had the lead. They were kind of consistently kept Pepperdine at bay. But once Koulibaly went to the bench with that second foul, they went on a massive run. EK scored six in a row very quickly. That was when we hit some threes. And all of a sudden, the score was 34 to 14. And from that point on, it never really got within even close to striking distance for Pepperdine. That run is when Gonzaga separated themselves, and it involved Koulibaly being on the bench with foul trouble. He only finished with two fouls. He played a lot in the second half, but he didn't pick up any more fouls, but he was a non-factor in this game offensively and defensively. He only had four points and two rebounds. He's their big fella, only gets two boards, only had the one block again about a minute and a half into the game. Meanwhile, Gonzaga not only got Koulibaly in that foul trouble in the first half uh, and throughout the game, they got to the free throw line 18 times, and they converted 14. 77.8%. I think a lot of attention is always on Gonzaga when they struggle from the free throw line, but it's been fairly quiet because Gonzaga has been pretty good lately at the free throw line. And I think that that's something that will continue to serve them well as the season goes on. Being successful at the charity stripe is a really valuable thing getting into March, of course. And this Gonzaga team in particular, EK, who was four of four from the line, is very good at delivering uh, from the charity stripe. Key number three was defending the perimeter, something we saw Gonzaga do very well in this game as well. We talked about the overall team defense, but uh, they were three of 10 at halftime. They did hit a few uh, tough ones at the the end of the first half. They were 0 of of 4, excuse me, 0 of 5 at the under 8 media timeout, so they hit a few to close out the first half. Uh, Ajayi hit that one when Ben Gregg played a little too far back. They ended up finishing 7 of 19, which means they were 4 of 9 in the second half. Once again, as we saw in the Jackson State game, a handful of those threes came in the final minutes when Gonzaga had pulled the starters. We're playing Joe Few, we're playing Colby Brooks, we're playing Pavle Stosic, and just weren't weren't playing the roster or the lineup that that is is who they're going to typically go with for, for the majority of the first half and the majority of games, quite honestly. So not something I'm overly concerned about. I know some people worry about, oh, if the score goes from 30 to 22, it can impact them in the net. It can impact them in Ken Palm. And, and yeah, I suppose, but like I'd much rather Ryan Nempard be getting a break and Gonzaga not having quite as big of a lead. I don't care about that stuff as much. I know Mark Few doesn't care about that at all. I certainly don't care about the spreads. Uh, and I know that some fans do, and that's, that's totally fine. Fine, but Gonzaga is a tough team to bet on with those spreads, especially this year, because uh, even big leads at the end of games can shrink a little bit when they're playing the walk-ons and just not putting themselves in a position to maintain big leads because they just don't have the depth to kind of keep their foot on somebody's throat that way. And so I think that's totally fine. I think overall, while 7 of 19 doesn't look terrible for Pepperdine, the perimeter defense for the Zags was very good in this one. Key number four, we wanted to see a big game from Ryan Nembhard and boy, howdy, did we get that? We saw the two threes. We already talked about that. Breaking that 0 of 13 streak from deep. Nemhard finished with 10 points, seven assists, two boards, and two steals. And look, 10 and seven does not super stand out. Nemhard has not been that leading scorer type that I think many expected he would be this season. And even when he has his good games, he's not that guy. He had 15 points against San Diego State. Again, he struggled from three in that one, but he did score quite a bit. But I think the, the best version of Ryan Nemhard for this Gonzaga team is going to be more like this. I think you'd like to see a little closer to 15 points per game, but Gonzaga scored 86. They scored 86 in this game. Ryan Nembhard only having 10 of them is, is totally fine, especially because he had seven assists. That, to me, is key. 
I want to see five plus assists from Ryan Nembhard night in and night out. I want to see him delivering the ball to Graham EK, either directly just an entry pass or on those pick and rolls. We haven't seen as much of the pick and roll offense. There was a phenomenal, phenomenal play where Graham did set a pick and roll. They hedged the screen. Nemhard had to come around the screen. It took him a little while to get into a position where he could make a pass, but Pepperdine rotated over way too slow. He still managed to deliver a, a whip around pass to Graham EK on the block. He scored phenomenal play right there. That's what Ryan Nemhard is here to do. Yes, we want to see more of the outside shooting, and certainly this was a step in the right direction. But at the end of the day, Ryan Nembhard is here to deliver beautiful passes on high pick and rolls, to strip strip defenders around the rim, take four or five dribbles, and make a long pass up the floor to Anton Watson for an easy lay-in. That's what Ryan Nembhard is here to do. And those are the things that he did in this game, along with shooting well from beyond the arc. Again, two of three from three, that's six of his 10 points. So he didn't have very much other contributions uh, as a two-point scorer. Again, you probably want to see a little more from him there, but I'm not going to complain about a 10.7 assist, two rebound, two steal performance, where he's three of seven from the field, two of three from deep, and two of three from the charity stripe. Again, we talked a little bit earlier in the show about a few missed defensive assignments where Ethan Anderson was able to go back door on him. Gonzaga was pretty focused on stopping Houston Millette, uh, who can light it up, and Michael Ajayi, who can light it up as well. I think they were willing to let Ethan Anderson get a couple easy buckets uh, if it meant playing better defense on the big three. So I'm not overly concerned about that. I do think Nembhard uh, can improve defensively in ways that we'd like to see him do so between now and March. But uh, that's getting a little nitpicky on what I thought was otherwise a very solid performance from him. And then key number five, force turnovers and get out in transition. And again, I have mentioned this one particular play a handful of times, and I'll mention it again. That was the perfect kind of idealization of what we wanted to see Gonzaga do in this game. Get a steal, get out in transition, get that lob out to Anton Watson for an easy finish around the rim. Watson also had a thunderous dunk later in the second half out in transition as well. Gonzaga did a very good job of forcing turnovers, getting out in transition. Uh, Pepperdine had 12 turnovers. It led to a handful of fast break opportunities for Gonzaga. And I thought once again, uh, seeing Gonzaga get those easy buckets in transition, get the crowd at the arena going a little bit was a, a key for Gonzaga and will continue to be a key for the Zags going forward this season. And it'll be a key for the Zags against San Diego on Saturday, which is what I want to talk about now to close out the show. San Diego 0-1 in conference play, lost to St. Mary's. What does this Toreros team look like in the second year under coach Steve Lavin? We're going to talk about that after a word from today's sponsor, Game Time. Maybe you missed out on last-minute Christmas gift ideas for somebody special. Well, good news you are in luck with Game Time. Now you can make it up to them by buying a last-minute ticket to a big-time conference matchup with Game Time. It is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all of the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last-minute deals all in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. Game Time has exactly what you need. And you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. And thankfully, Game Time has got you covered. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. It's the perfect place to find last minute tickets. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off. Terms do apply. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices. Guaranteed. All right, folks, closing out the show today, talking Zags versus Toreros, January 6th, Saturday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. 
once again for those of you in the Spokane market the game will be on KHQ for those of you outside the market it'll be on Root Sports not Root Sports Plus again if you have Fubo you get both of them I'm not as familiar with other streaming services but Root Sports should be on most or at least on Fubo it's on a handful of other streaming services as well for those of you outside of the entire Pacific Northwest market you should be able to get this game on ESPN Plus the Zags it's not a 45 game winning streak like they had against Pepperdine going into Thursday's game, but the Zags do boast a 16-game winning streak right now against the San Diego Toreros. The the last loss was back in 2014, and the Zags have never lost twice in a row to the University of San Diego. They are 47-3 and overall, having played 50 matchups against San Diego in their history. Uh, Interestingly, they are 22-2 and at home, yet they are 24-1 and on the road. Pretty tiny sample size of losses, so not something I'm overly concerned about, but kind of a funny note here. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what this team looks like right now under coach Steve Lavin in his second year. The Toreros are 10-6 and on the season. They are 0-1 in conference play, having lost to St. Mary's on Thursday evening. They played right after Gonzaga's game. St. Mary's won 81-70. to Really nice performances from Aiden Mahaney, as well as Augustus Marcelonis, the two backcourt starters for the Gales, helped lead to a nice victory over San Diego. Again, San Diego has 10 wins. Two of them are over non-D1 programs. Their biggest win by far was hosting Arizona State, who just upset top 25-ranked Utah uh, in a Pac-12 matchup on Thursday night. So that Arizona State win looks very good for Steve Lavin and the Toreros. I have no idea why Bobby Hurley and the Sun Devils agreed to play San Diego in a true road game. That seems like an odd choice by the schedulers. Not knocking it. I love seeing teams being willing to go on the road, but was surprised to see Arizona State playing at Jenny Craig Pavilion uh, and seeing the Toreros defend their home floor and beat a Pac-12 school was a nice win for the WCC, which desperately needed them, and of course a nice win for San Diego. Their other wins not as impressive. They have wins over Navy, Jackson State, who Gonzaga already played, as well as Arkansas. Arkansas State, Portland State, and South Dakota. They got a couple of quote-unquote good losses, lost to St. Mary's like we discussed already. They also lost to a very good Utah State team on the road and lost at Stanford as well. Their quote-unquote bad losses would be UC San Diego, Hawaii in the Big West, and then Fresno State, which could kind of qualify as either. I don't think they were expected to beat Fresno State, but certainly you'd want to see uh, you'd want to see San Diego and or a WCC team pick up a win over a mid-level uh, Mountain West program like Fresno State is. As we record this on Friday morning, the San Diego Toreros are 217th at Ken Palm overall. They are 261st in adjusted offensive efficiency, but 163rd in adjusted defensive efficiency. That's not great necessarily, but it is quite a bit better than they are offensively. And tempo-wise, we are going to see a team that likes to get out and go. They are 49th in adjusted tempo again at Ken Palm. Right now, Ken Palm favors the Zags by 21 in this game, projecting an 87 to 66 score for the record. Uh, The projection for the Pepperdine game, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was very close to the actual score uh, for Gonzaga in that one. So fun to see if Ken Palm's computer algorithms will get this score relatively close again on Saturday against San Diego. And as we alluded to with that 261st in adjusted offensive efficiency, this team's pretty bad on offense. There's not really any other way to shake it. Uh, They're shooting 43% from the field. They are 47.1% collectively on two-pointers. That is 311th 
in the country, according to basketball reference. So they are literally one of the 50-ish worst shooting teams in the country on two-pointers. They are much better from three, 34.4% as a team. That's 150th in the country percentage-wise. However, they only take about 20 per game, which is 277th. Part of that Steve Lavin's kind of an old school coach, you know, longtime head coach at St. John's, longtime head coach at uh, UCLA before that. He is a, a prolific college basketball coach whose most of his success came 20-ish years ago. He hasn't been a, a head coach. He's been the head coach the last two years, but prior to that, there was a seven-year gap before he was uh, let go at St. John's. And I think you're kind of seeing a coach who's still adjusting to the more modern style of the game, still likes to score around the rim as opposed to shooting threes. Last year, his team was horrendous at defending the three-point line because I think it was just an adjustment for him as a coach. They have improved in that area quite significantly this year, better personnel, and I think more of an adjustment from the coaching staff to be uh, more in line with the modern college basketball game. So you are seeing some improvements in some of those areas. Uh, but again, a team that still plays kind of a, a more old school style of, of game. Uh, their turnover rate is very high, 19.5%, according to Ken Palm. That's 269th in the country. So they're going to turn it over quite a bit. That's a big key for Gonzaga, as it has been throughout the year. Have those active hands, strip the basketball, play the passing lanes, try to get some transition buckets, get out and, and outrace a team that's going to try to outrace you uh, in San Diego. Uh, this team is led by a pair of undersized guards, uh, Deuce Turner and Wayne McKinney the third. Uh, these two guys are good. They're both juniors. Turner's, I think, 6'2". McKinney is six foot. So, again, Nemhard and Hickman sizes effectively, so they should match up well size-wise, but these two guys are going to get it done. Offensively for this team, Turner's averaging 15.2 points, 2.7 boards, and two assists, shooting 36% from three. He's only the team's leading scorer because he dropped 34 against the Gales. Not a lot of people get 30 burgers against St. Mary's. Again, 34 points. The team had 70. So he had almost exactly half of their points against St. Mary's on Thursday night. Meanwhile, McKinney, 14.4 points, four boards, three assists, one and a half steals per game. And he is also shooting 36% from three. There's not a ton of size for this Toreros team. Again, teams like San Diego and some of those kind of mid-lower level teams in the WCC. It's hard to find good, good effective big men. Uh, it's a difficulty for them to do. Uh, most guys who are 6'10 and talented or skilled are going to better schools. It's just there's not a lot of six foot ten people out there, so it's hard to find those guys for your program. Uh, the only real size for San Diego is junior Stephen Jamerson the second. He's six ten, but he's two hundred and ten pounds, so he's built a little bit like Javon Porter for Pepperdine. Uh, Graham EK's got quite a bit of size on him, and I think once again it's going to be very valuable for Gonzaga to pound the ball into the paint often. Uh, Jamerson's a solid rebounder, seven and a half boards per game, but he's only blocking zero point six blocks per game. So despite his size he's not a rim protector i expect ek to have another monster game uh, getting the ball early and often down on the block another 20 point game another potential 20 and 10 double double type performance from ek is going to be very very valuable for gonzaga in this one uh, forcing turnovers again something that san diego struggles with uh, turning the ball over consistently defending the perimeter again this is a team that doesn't take as many threes as they probably should we projected that pepperdine might try to take more threes than usual to beat gonzaga they sort of did but gonzaga did a good job of, of taking away perimeter opportunities if gonzaga plays like they did against pepperdine not just in terms of overall effectiveness but actual stylistically 
if they play the same style of offense where they're feeding the ball into EK, letting him operate. If San Diego doesn't double team, he, he should get the ball every possession that he's in the on the on the floor, every possession he's not on the game. Uh, Braden Huff should be getting the ball on the block. Like that's the way that they should be playing this game offensively, defensively, hounding the perimeter, trying to get uh, steals, trying to get out in transition. If they play that style and they perform similarly to how they did on Thursday, this should be another 25 to 30 point victory for Gonzaga. Another opportunity to, for Ryan Nembhard to play less than 35 minutes, for Nolan Hickman to play less than 35 minutes. Heck, maybe another opportunity for Joe Few to get his first actual bucket of his career as he's only ever scored from the charity stripe. That's what we're looking for on Saturday against San Diego. And we'll be back on Monday of next week to review this game against San Diego. We'll do some mailbag questions as well, and we'll get ready for the only game of the week next week on the road against Santa Clara on Thursday. All that coming up on a future episode of Locked on Zags, but that's going to wrap it up for us today. So thank you so much for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Appreciate all of you who are everyday listeners. Appreciate those of you on our Discord channel. If you want to join us, there is a link in the show notes. We're over 300 people hanging out with us every single day and hanging out in the Game Threads channel for each performance. We'll be back there on Saturday, so join if you haven't already. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, as always, Go Zags.